My name is Andy. I'm the lead pastor here. If you are watching online this morning, we want to just say welcome. Uh, great to have you here. We are thankful for you being a part of High Point. If you're here for our first in-person service in the better part of a year, welcome. Great to have you here uh, today as well. Today is a significant Sunday for obvious reasons. It's the first time that we've been back in the better part of a year. And that requires a moment, okay? We're going to pray here in just, uh, in just a few minutes, but this is a significant moment. It's been a hard year for a lot of people, and there's nothing like community to help you walk through it and get through it. So church, welcome back. It's great to be here with you today. Come on, one more time. Put your hands together. Let's, let's be excited today. Yeah. The podium is on my left side, so this is really throwing me off now. Normally it's on this side, so we'll see. I may preach with a little extra, little extra gas today. We'll, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. Um, when Amy and I, my wife, moved here many moons ago, we had a passion in our heart that our, we would have a church that was birthed, that was a church that was in the community, but a church that was for the community. Like that we would be for it, that we would be winning in this city, that people would know who we are, that we'd be a church that, that people could literally uh, walk to or, or they'd see us in the neighborhood, that we'd be that kind of a church, a church that is involved and engaged in the life of the school, in the local community. When we moved here, we were passionate to see a church to reach the next generation because we believed that if you reach the campus, you change the world. That if we can't hand the baton of faith to the next generation, then we're not winning. We believe that when we moved here, that, that we as a church, that a people, that if people would give their life away, empty themselves, so to speak, in the mission of God, they, they actually wouldn't find themselves empty, but rather would find themselves full. And I believe that we have seen that in our church, but I also want you to know that I believe this next season, the next chapter of our church, we're going to see it even more than we ever have before. This is a significant Sunday, even though we're working out kinks and sound things and there, there's people off to the sides all managing different things because not everything's working right yet. We knew that was going to be the case. We've got to retrain, rebuild, redo a lot of things, as do most churches right now. But what it feels like in the life of High Point is that in many ways we are given the opportunity to have a brand new beginning. It's another chapter that's beginning. If you're into like Marvel movies, right, or, or Hunger Games, or like every movie I feel like has like 19 installments now, you know, the, the, the longest epic sagas and series, but, but you, get, you get amped for it. You're excited for the next the next chapter, the next thing that, 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 that pushes the story along. That's where we are as a church. And so if this is your first time here, this is the perfect opportunity to begin getting in, engaged in a church that is for this city. A church that believes that Jesus is Lord and Jesus is King and that he changes absolutely everything. That's the Jesus that we serve. So this is a significant day because it's a new day. Now, we're not, just for clarity's sake, 
We aren't yet meeting in here every single week. So if you show up next Sunday here, no one's going to be here, okay? We're going to be at the outdoor service at Easter. And then we're going to begin to, to ramp up during the summer the process of meeting here each week. But you're going to have to pay attention. We've got all the information for you. Don't worry. We'll be very clear. But it's going to be an exciting summer as we basically regrow, rebuild, and relaunch the beginning of probably August-ish. Let's go. It's an exciting time. You know why else today is significant, though? Uh, because it's Palm Sunday. All right? Today begins Holy Week. We're a week out from Easter, and so this is the time that the, the world oftentimes uh, is preparing in their heart for the resurrection of Christ. And by the way, if you want a free devotional to lead you through it, uh, we wrote one, and you can download it. Uh, you literally just text HP info to 97,000. You'll see there's a little Easter devotional to guide you each day of Holy Week. But this is a significant moment. This is the triumphal entry. Children, kids that are here in service, which, by the way, you're amazing. Um, you have little palm branches in your goodie bag today. Why? Because this symbolizes what took place on Palm Sunday 2,000 years ago. And with that, let's read about it, and let's get into the Bible this morning. Can we do that? Father, thank you for this time together. We ask that you would minister to us by the word of God, your word to us. God, breathe, speak, lead, convict, and challenge us today. Amen. John 12, 12 through 18. This is the triumphal entry the week of Jesus' life, his final week, the next day the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey, and he sat on it as it is written, Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your King is coming seated on a donkey's coat. At first, his disciples didn't understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. And many people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. Matthew 21 says it a little bit like this at the end. It says, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred. The whole city was stirred. And they asked, who is this? The crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. This is the question, isn't it? Who is this? Here we are, they were asking it 2,000 years ago, and we're still asking it today. Who is Jesus? Who is this man? Who is this person that people talk about, that people sing songs about? Is he really who he says he is? Is he really who he claims to be? Who is this? It's a question that if we take the time to answer, has the propensity to literally change your entire life. And by the way, just because you answered it one time doesn't mean you don't need to continually keep answering it in your heart 
and in your life. Who is Jesus and who is he to you? See, what's interesting about this moment on, on Palm Sunday, as the branches are being, you know, literally cut down from trees, and, you know, you've got these little branches, and people would have been waving them like this, singing Hosanna. They're praising. They're crying. They're crying out. They're shouting. It's a joyful time. But because we, if you didn't grow up, you know, in Jerusalem or you're not Jewish, you wouldn't necessarily know the customs of Passover. But Passover was a time of celebration. But many times, because there were thousands upon thousands of people there, there was a lot, there, were, there were these crowds and there's rioting that's taking place. There's fighting and infighting and, 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 and protests against the Roman Empire. And so it was customary for Pilate or the ruler of the city, the governor, to parade through town at Passover to let everybody know who the sheriff is around here. There's only one sheriff, and it's Pilate. And many theologians believe that Pilate would have literally gotten on the back of a war horse because this was customary and would have been walking through town with an armored horse, with all of, the, all of the gold, all the silver, all the soldiers, all of the trappings that would have made him look authoritative and powerful and kingly and governly and all the things. Not only that, he would have paid Jewish people to be in attendance cheering him on. They literally would have been paid fans. And so while this is happening on one side of Jerusalem, many believe that literally, and this is just like God to do something like this, you have one king, king, beating his chest, and another king who is walking into Jerusalem, not on a war horse, but on a humble donkey. And not on the saddle of royalty, or an armored horse, but literally on the cloaks of peasants and villagers who laid them out before him. Very two different kinds of kings and very different kinds of kingdoms. Jesus is a king of love and joy and peace and patience. He is a ki the king of kindness. He is the king of of, of hopeful expectation, very different than what we see and saw in Pilate. This is the kind of king that Jesus is. Oh, make no mistake about it, Jesus is king, but he is no ordinary king today. Jesus is not an ordinary king, and you need to reset some things in your mind today. Culturally speaking, of the kind of king that Jesus is. And still is, might I add, the king that Jesus was and the king that Jesus still is. Jesus took some time because he was resetting things for people. And so he walks into town on the back of a donkey, and that in and of itself is foreign. What kind of king is this? Yet make no mistake, they recognize him as king. Blessed is the king of Israel. But just a few days prior, Jesus is in the village of Bethany, literally about a three-mile walk from the heart of Jerusalem, and he's there with his friends. If you've ever hung out with your, your buddies or gone out of town on a little vacation with somebody before, 
Right? Jesus is with his friends in Bethany. And Lazarus is there. And Mary and Martha, only Lazarus has died. And Mary and Martha, also Jesus' dear friends, are distraught. Because they know that Jesus, if you had just been here, if, you, if, you, if you'd been here, this wouldn't have happened. Something different would have taken place. And so we begin to see a side of Jesus in this moment. In John chapter 11, look, look at the heart of Jesus in this passage. When Mary came to the place where Jesus was, she saw him and fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you've been here, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit. And he was troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept, the Bible says. Jesus knows what he's about to do. And yet Jesus still is grieved to the point of weeping with his friends. This is the kind of king that we have in Jesus. He is the king of comfort. He is king, but he is no ordinary king. He is not a king that usurps oppressive power over his people. He is the kind of king that sits with you in your pain and your difficulty and in your grief and in your hardship. And I want you to know this. Some of you have just, it feels like you just made it right to this moment because it's been that kind of a year. Some of you have lost loved ones, myself included. And I want you to know that we serve a king who is not an ordinary king. He is the kind of king that ministers to you in the midst of your difficulty and in the midst of your hardship, and he does not let go. That's the kind of king that you have in Jesus. But we're not done. Because Lazarus is dead. The Bible says he's dead three days and three nights, which means he's dead for four days. Now, again, if you don't know Judaic law, which I wouldn't expect any of you to be scholars in that, uh, myself included, but what you may not know is that within the three-day period, the Jewish audience present, Mary and Martha even, there's this expectation that, that God still might do something. Within the three-day span, Judaic law believed that the spirit was not yet separated from the body. And so, therefore, God could still move. He could still restore. He could still bring Lazarus back. But Jesus waits beyond the three days. He waits till the fourth day. And he walks up, and Mary and Martha, they're distraught. And one of the reasons they are distraught is because it's come to this place where they no longer believe that God can actually do anything. And so the questions that Jesus poses to them is, do you believe? Do you believe? My paraphrase. And Jesus walks to the tomb, and he, he asks them to roll the stone away, and, and he literally says, Lazarus, Come out. And Jesus demonstrates to all those who are watching that he is the king of power. Lazarus, come out of that tomb. You might be dead, but you're not anymore. Come back to life. 
Now, what you, you, again, you, you may not know that many believed that Jesus operated in the spirit of Elijah. In fact, Jesus at one time looks at his disciples and he says, who do people say that I am? And they say, well, some say that you're John the Baptist. Others say that you are Elijah. And so Jesus is showing once and for all in this moment, right before he heads into the final few days of his life, that he's more than a teacher. And yes, he's more than Elijah. He's more than John the Baptist. He is more than just a prophet. He is the king. Three days and three nights in the tomb have no power over Jesus Christ. That's the kind of king that we have in Jesus. There is nothing too great for him. There's nothing too big for him. He can do anything. He is the king of power. That's the kind of Christ, the kind of king that we serve. The week progresses. Passover is happening. On Friday of this week, Good Friday, we will be celebrating Passover, or or figuratively. We don't actually have a Good Friday service, so don't show up here in case you're thinking that that's what I meant. But Good Friday is when people celebrate Passover and they celebrate Jesus going to the cross and, and he's arrested and he's tortured, and he's, he dies on behalf of the, the sins of the world. But look what happens in the garden. Judas, who had betrayed Jesus, John chapter 18, he knew the place where Jesus was going in the garden because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. Verse 3, so Judas came to the garden guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and the Pharisees. They were carrying torches, lanterns, and weapons. Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, Who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. I am he, Jesus said. And Judas the traitor was standing there with them. When Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Now, if you don't, a detachment of soldiers... This, this battalion is in the number of about 300 people. There's about 300 people with torches, swords, weapons, all going to get Jesus. And, and Jesus says, who is it that you're looking for? He knows who they're looking for. And they say, Jesus of Nazareth, and with all of the authority that Jesus has, he looks at them and he says, I am he. And the very power and authority of his words are are so shattering and so life-altering that literally 300 people stutter and stagger and fall to the ground. What kind of king is this? Who is this man? Who is Jesus? Oh, he's the king of comfort. He is the king of power. And he is also the king of all authority. That is who Jesus is. And when he speaks, the world shudders. That is who Jesus is. And when Peter takes his sword, and you see, that, you see how ludicrous it is when he cuts off the, the, the ear of one of the soldiers as if Jesus needs Peter to help him out. And he literally says, do you, he says, do you, Peter, come on, bro. Like, like I really need, I just knocked everybody to the ground. Come on. Come on, bro. (laughs) Jesus is the king of authority. When Jesus was hanging on the cross for you and for me, when he took your sin and my sin, 
Luke 23, 34, Jesus said, Father, forgive them. This is what he's doing as he hangs upon the cross. Tortured for our sins and the sins of the world. Father, forgive them for they don't know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. Jesus is the king of mercy. And he is the king of forgiveness. This is who Jesus is. This is the kind of king that we serve. And although I'm not getting into it, I'm going to save a little bit for Easter. When Jesus stepped out of the grave after he died and he rose again on the third day, he demonstrated, yes, the kind of king that he is. He's a king of power. He's a king of authority. But he also reminded you and me and showed and declared that he is ultimately the king of life and death. He holds all things in the palm of his hand. That's the kind of king that we have in Jesus And the Bible says that the city was stirred. Can you see why? Who is this man? All of these stories circulating around him. So many things that people had seen from food being multiplied to the dead being raised to the blind having eyes open to, to demon possessed being set free. Can you imagine? Why a city was a stir. Of course. Who is this man that clears the temple? Who is this man that comes riding on a donkey praised by thousands? He's Jesus, the one true king. But he is no ordinary king. He was born in the stinky quarters of a farm stable, yet the heavens open and the angels rejoice. Why? Because a Savior King has been born to you and to me. A new king had arrived, a king who was the very fullness of God. This king grew in stature and maturity, and by the age of 30 years old began to minister and call those who would listen and hear to come and follow him. He spoke with authority, he spoke with power, he spoke of a new kingdom. A spiritual kingdom of love and grace and joy. A kingdom of peace and wholeness for those who are broken. And for those who need rescuing. This kingdom would be different. This king and his kingdom offered forgiveness from sin. And it doesn't matter what you have done. And it doesn't matter how far you've run or how nasty the spiritual pigsty is that you've made of your life. You're never too far from Jesus the King. He didn't come as a king with force. He didn't conquer Rome or bring its emperor to his knees. He didn't force nearby territories into submission. His kingdom is marked by grace and humility and peace because Jesus is no ordinary king. He is the one true king of all. Now, I can stand here and I can say this, but the real question is, is he your king? 
It's one thing to say he's king, but is he your king? That's what you have to wrestle with. That's the question that's in front of you. Mark, you can come on up. Here's my question for you. It's a new chapter for us as a church. It's a new chapter for many of you just personally. It feels like a breath of fresh air. And so it made most sense this morning, not to, not to just jump back in with the series that we were in, but to literally just declare over our church and over you and over my own life a re- reminding sentiment of who Jesus is. Jesus is the one who's in control. Jesus is the one who is truly king. Jesus is the one who is in charge. Jesus is the one who gives life and death. Jesus is the one who brings comfort. Jesus is the one who holds it all together in the palm of his hands. Jesus is the one who brings healing to my heart and soul. Jesus is the one who sustains me. Jesus is the one who puts fresh life and air into my lungs. It's Jesus who gets me out of bed in the morning. It's Jesus who gives peace and love and joy and sustains me and you through all the times, whether they're great, whether they're low. It's Jesus. It's always been about Jesus, and it will continue to be about this one true king. Jesus is king, but he is no ordinary king. He's no ordinary king. He is king over everything. And because he's over everything, he can change everything. So your response today, Mark chapter 115, is this. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. What do we do about it? This king and his kingdom, we repent, the Bible says, and we believe. We turn to him and we put our faith in him. That's what we do. He's the one who's over everything. He's the one who can change everything. And because that's true, we can now give him everything. Jesus, I turn to you and I believe. Stand to your feet this morning. Father in heaven, we thank you in this moment, not only for bringing our church together in person, God, for sustaining us as a people. But we thank you, Jesus, that you are king. But you're not just any other king. You're not just the kind of kings that we have over over territories or lands or that we read about in history books. There's no king like you, Jesus. You're not ordinary. You are something beyond our wildest imagination. You are the fullness of God, his very son, sent to this earth to die on behalf of our sins that we might have restored and right and whole relationship with you. Jesus, we thank you. Jesus, we exalt your name, for it's the name above every other name. There's no name like you, Jesus. And today we are reminded 
that your kingdom, that your kingship, it's worthy of our entire life. And so today, we turn to you. We repent of all that does not honor you. And we believe. As you're standing here this morning, Maybe it's been a long time coming. Maybe just being in an environment with people and worship, you feel that overwhelming sense of gratitude and thanksgiving, and there's just a response that Jesus, the Holy Spirit, is drawing out of you. Don't ignore it in this moment. Right where you're standing, just whisper it, say it, say it in your mind. Say, Jesus, you are my king. God, today, afresh, right here, right now, you are the king of my heart and the king of my life. I give you everything today. There's no one like you, Jesus. I love you with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. You are my king. I turn to you today, and I choose to follow you afresh. It's in your name that we pray, Jesus, the one true King.